Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 100th episode of Left of Skeptic. My name is Brittany Lind, pronouns she, her. And I am Kayla Moria, pronouns she, her. And we are a paranormal podcast. Yes, we are. Kayla, how are you? I'm fucking excited. Good. I'm so excited. Why are you so excited? Because we have people other than just us on this podcast and it's going to be so amazing. Are you trying to tell me I'm not enough? Kayla. No, that's not what I'm trying to tell you at all. And you know that. (laughs) You know it. Can, can, Can we introduce them now? Of course. Actually, better yet, let's let them introduce themselves. All right. Hello, I'm Kara Babcock. My pronouns are she, her, and I'm one half of Prophecy Girls. Hello, I'm Stephanie Chow. My pronouns are she, her, and I am the other half of Prophecy Girls. Oh, yes! <laughs> That's right, everybody. We have the Prophecy Girls here on our podcast. Which you know <laughs> is a big deal because we talk about them quite a bit, actually. We do. We talk about them. We post about them. We reference them all the time. Facts. Um, for those of you who may be joining late or have not bothered to pay attention to us posting or talking about them, which what were you doing? It's a podcast. You literally have nothing other to do than listen. But I mean, whatever. For those of us who may not know, could uh, y'all tell us a little bit about your podcast? Take it away, Kara. So we're a Buffy rewatch podcast. We're currently in season five as we record this. Uh, So every week you can join us wherever podcasts are found to listen to us recap the episodes. We riff on them, you know, to talk about what we liked, what we didn't like. We critique them because they're 25 years old. And we try to keep it spoiler free for for new listeners. But we also put out bonus episodes and season wrap ups where we get into spoiler territory. I'm I'm always there for the Xander slander. Let me tell you. It's never too early in the morning for Xander Slander. <laughs> Our unofficial slogan. <laughs> Put it well, on that merch. Praise Moloch. Praise Moloch. We got a lot. Or Stoner Joyce. We got a lot of good gags <laughs> going on here. That's one of my favorite things is the way that certain like, we have, we've created memes basically. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now I'm rewatching Buffy with uh, my fella Steve. He's never seen it before. And so we've been watching it, and every time we watch an episode that you guys just covered, I'm just like, Sandra Slander, <laughs> Stoner Joyce. It's Which, all there. I don't know that I would have ever put Stoner Joyce into it, but man, the woman was just oblivious. Like that speech that Buffy gives in, in season two where she's like, how many times have you watched Blood Out of My Clothing and you still haven't figured it out? I'm like, yeah, Buffy, you're right. She's not thinking clearly (laughs) so of course she was high of course (laughs) yeah that's the joy of recapping the way that we do because we go every over every scene every sentence basically and that's where we capture these wonderful moments where we're like joyce is really out of it she's so (laughs) spaced and then we're just like it's because she's high obviously super high (laughs) yeah and any like the only explanation for why somebody would hang that ugly ass mask in their bedroom is <laughs> yeah. because they're high as hell. Yeah, and like when she disappears for like weeks on end, <laughs> she's just in a haze in the forest, <laughs> band um, canding it up. My daughter's fine. It's fine. <laughs> the Slayer. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> so, Brittany, mm-hmm. what subject that we haven't covered yet? could possibly be the best subject to cover with these two amazing guests. 
Gnomes. No, mm. no, not that's why not I'm gnomes. here. <laughs> they have okay. I'm going to give you a hint. They have an entire podcast dedicated to Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Dragons. <laughs> uh, it's a cryptid that has become so famous and well known that most people don't even consider it a cryptid anymore. Buffy? Oh. That that's made up, right? Buffy. <laughs> Is it Buffy? <laughs> Librarians? No. Those aren't real. <laughs> Librarians are a lie. Vampires. This week we are covering vampires. Yes. Amazing. So we've made a couple random vampire-related episodes. Um, back in episode 55, we discussed Highgate Cemetery, which had mm-hmm. a vampire. And in episode 62, we covered the Mineral Point vampire out of Mineral Point, Wisconsin. But that's really it. So this week, we're doing a whole episode just on the idea of this creature. So we're going to uh, give you a little you know, history, a little background, some Hopefully, mildly scholarly sourced. It's not actually scholarly sourced, but like I try to be as legit as possible. I get very excited when I get real scholarly sources, but that really didn't happen with this episode. What? <laughs> like sometimes I can try. get like out of my college, uh, like resources. I can get peer reviewed journals on some of these subjects, but that did not happen with vampires. So you watched Twilight, didn't you? <laughs> I mean, it's all based upon Twilight. The entire Team Edward. You know, this is Team actually Edward. a Twilight recap episode. Yes. yes. We tricked you. <laughs> we tricked you. We were like, no, we're going to talk about things. But no, we're just talking about Twilight. <laughs> <laughs> My wildest dreams have come true. <laughs> uh, but no, we are going to talk about some real vampires. Um, mm. Well, you know, like. R- not the sparkly twilight kind or the bald, long-figured Nosferatu kind or even our favorite, beautiful, brooding, ensouled, wrinkly, foreheaded kind. Mm. Though I'm sure they'll come up once or twice. Mm-hmm. But the story of, air quote, real vampires. So, what is a vampire? There are almost as many different characteristics of vampires as there are vampire legends. You can't give it one solid definition. But vampires can be summed up in a few key characteristics. They drink human blood. They typically drain their victims' blood using sharp fangs, killing them and or turning them into vampires. Sounds familiar. Mm, Go on. So there is no definite answer for where the myth came from, who was the first vampire or how the frenzy got started. But we've got a few core ideas, and some of which I got, speaking of scholarly sources, I got from Oprah Daily. (laughs) Oprah Daily had stuff about vampires? Yeah, like Oprah. Like Oprah, O Magazine. Big fucking deal, Oprah. That's where I got this. All right. She would know. I'm ex- she would know. She would know. You're right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I bet she knows what? some. Yeah. She she probably won. Mm. Well, she definitely knows some Republicans. <laughs> yes. Speaking of blood-sucking fiends. <laughs> Are those the real-life vampires you were referring to? <laughs> I think it might be. <laughs> Wait. Angelus is not a Republican. No. No, not at all. Not. He's green. Liberal as fuck. <laughs> Angelus is pro-life. <laughs> Angel is pro-life. Angelus is not. Anyway. I feel like he'd be small C conservative, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yep. 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 For sure. One nice thing, authors on Oprah's website 
do cite their sources, which is more than I can say for a lot of websites out there. They they I've every time they posted that sometimes something, things online aren't true. The internet, it's all Lies. true. Just ask my just ask my great aunt as she posts everything. Anyway, <laughs> um, so there is the story of Sekhmet, the Egyptian feline warrior goddess associated with both plague and healing. And they are considered by some to be one of the oldest vampire tales. Legends hold that the sun god, Ra, sent his daughter, Sekhmet, down to punish humankind for their disobedience. But after Sekhmet couldn't stop drinking blood amongst her slaughter, Ra quelled her planet-draining thirst by dyeing a bunch of beer red. So basically, she chugged beer and slept for three days. Mm, Been there, done that. Yep. Mm -hmm. So that's the first that I could find of vampire tales. Um, There's also the tale of Lilith, a 4,000-year-old figure in Jewish folklore who, in some stories, was Adam's wife before Eve. (gasps) Lilith was known as a vampire, but again, not by that exact name. And in Babylonia, her name derives from a Sumerian word for female demons or wind spirits, Liltu. According to scholar J.A. Sherlock, (laughs) via the Jewish Women's Archive, the Babylonians believe that the Liltu were hungry for victims because they had once been human and slipped through the windows into people's houses looking for victims to take place of husbands and wives whom they never had. What? Wait. Can we back it up for a second? Yeah. yeah. Which, um, like, in what, like, mm, I've, <laughs> I'm really confused. So Adam had a girlfriend before Eve? <laughs> oh, well, Adam had a wife before Eve. A wife? You've never heard of Lilith? No. Oh, she is. You haven't gotten far enough into True Blood then, obviously. Yeah, clearly I stopped at some point in there, so. There's a whole, and then, and Supernatural, there's a whole Lilith storyline with both of them. <gasps> She's super badass. So basically she did not want, because uh, Adam and Lilith were um, both made out of, what is it, dirt? I, don't... I thought it was clay. Clay. Something clay. like that. They're yeah. both made out of clay, so they were equal. And Adam didn't like that. And <gasps> so... God banished Lilith off into the desert, and then Eve was created from Adam's rib because, you know, you can't have a lady without a man first, obviously. Obviously. Uh, justice for Lilith? <laughs> uh, 100%. She's super badass. Okay. Good. Wow. That blew my mind. I was like, what? what? Mm-hmm. I've never heard that. Um, but I liked because also what you said. The, the biblical propaganda is just that good. <laughs> it's just that I was good. indoctrined so well. Um, but I liked that story of like they enter people's homes to you know mm-hmm. get them get themselves a partner, I suppose. Uh, assuming so those that can go into in. people's yeah, homes, right? Yeah, are they right? invited in? So they didn't. I, I guess I didn't look that far into it. it. The idea being of the vampire idea being that. They were hungry for victims because they had once been human and then that they snuck into people's houses. But there was nothing about inviting or not inviting. If you say snuck, I'm guessing they didn't need to be invited because otherwise that'd be, I don't know how that would work. I wonder how they sneak in like through the mail. <laughs> like how do they get in there? Yeah, can they fold themselves <laughs> up and just like <laughs> insert themselves <laughs> through the slot? Yeah. There's, that's how I would sneak in. But uh that's interesting. Okay, I'm going to do some more research later. I would just walk in and be like, I'm your wife. <laughs> You're mine. So I'm made of clay. Like, do the bisexual finger guns just... <laughs> <suck>. <laughs> Shit, is that why I do that? 
Did you not know that that's a whole no, thing? No, I kind? didn't. Okay. <laughs> do, you, do you not also not sit in chairs funny? Uh, oh, no, she sits in chairs funny. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I also just saw a TikTok about how bisexuals always have multiple beverages in front of them. <laughs> <laughs> As she holds up multiple beverages. <laughs> um. Okay, so in the Philippines, there is the ancient story of... And as I always say, forgive my terrible pronunciation here. We're going to call it a Mananangal. M-A-N-A-N-A-N-G-G-A-L. Yeah. Managagal. Mananangal. <laughs> so this creature is a beautiful woman by day. And by night, she detaches her torso with like full out guts and stuff hanging out grows wings and flies to find its victims yeah that's how i look when i take my makeup off yeah <laughs> i was gonna say most asians do that so so the idea being trait. looks the idea being like looks human one way looks creaturely another and then additionally notably it sucks the blood from bellies of pregnant women and hates garlic Oh, okay. I'm starting to see connections now. Yeah, okay. I don't know. Is anybody else also starting to see like a a theme to like the gender of these vampires? No. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's you, not us. It's <laughs> not a podcast full of women right now. We're all just like, yeah, no, they hated us. <laughs> it sounds like they get their revenge real nice, you know? Like, yeah. Like, yep. just rip open my torso and suck your baby out or what? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, in general, it seems like a lot of these vengeful spirit types are female, maybe mm. because men have less vengeance to do? Because men's... Uh, That's all they do is yeah. vengeance. Right, no, while they're no, alive, no, 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 no. So vengeance... they have less to do when they're That's dying. violence. <laughs> I was going to say, vengeance implies revenge. We're talking violence here. Yep, mm. yep. Interesting. Go on, go on. And then, so one of the most... Famous original vampires, thanks to the television series The Strain on FX, is the Strigoi. This legend is from Romanian mythology, and the Strigoi are troubled spirits that are said to have risen from the grave. They are attributed with the abilities to transform into an animal, become invisible, and gain vitality from the blood of their victims. So very like Bram Stoker's Dracula style. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I was, I was thinking about this. In Buffy's very problematic description of Angel's Curse, <laughs> which came from Romania in the description, wouldn't you think this might have been a way, like with Strigoi being a known thing, that they could have tied it rather than like forcing this to be a curse from a disenfranchised group of people? I don't think Joss Whedon thinks that way. <laughs> well, yes, yeah. obviously. Hey, I mean, we all. Why yeah. would he take the high ground? I know. <laughs> But, like, if I was looking back, wanting to keep the show as much as I love it and knowing that there are problems, like, this is a pr an approach that they could have gone with Angel versus being like, oh, no, it was a Romanian, like, slur curse. He didn't mm -hmm. have access to the Oprah daily like you did. I know. <laughs> See, this is the problem. If Oprah would have just pulled Joss aside, been like, dude, you're not doing this right. Mm -hmm. Let me give you some guidance. I've got these authors who reference their sources <laughs> and will talk. Like, yeah. Once again, it's all Oprah's fault. You know? Let me talk to you about <laughs> APA style citations. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's so true. 
So generally, if you know anything about vampires, you know that vampire superstition thrived in the Middle Ages, especially as the plague decimated entire towns. So the disease often left behind bleeding mouth lesions on its victims, which the uneducated took as a sign of vampirism. So you'd have these bleeding sores and they're like, oh, they died and then they sucked people's blood. I mean, yeah, okay. Yeah, wouldn't you? Yeah, obviously. (laughs) Um, uh, We had covered Interview with a Vampire, Interview with the Vampire, the movie. Mm -hmm. uh, And the Brad Pitt the geniuses? Brad, the homoerotic Brad Pitt, mm. Uh, mm. Tom Cruise mm. Uh, mm. love mm. fest. But in that movie, or I guess in the book, perhaps, but there, there was a play. They were dealing with the plague, right? Mm-hmm. That yep. was how they found Claudia. So that kind of, that's a parallel that I'm seeing there, too. Like vampires in that time period probably snuck oh, yeah. by. They're like, I'm not a vampire. I've got the plague. <laughs> totally. totally. Don't listen Just to what plague. he says. <laughs> Ignore my fair and beautiful skin and glowing, <laughs> flowing, full-bodied hair. It's the <laughs> yeah. plague. Right? Is that not the plague that you guys have? Oh, my gosh. You've been <laughs> doing the wrong plague. Oh, if that's the plague, I would die for plague hair. Because right. it was gorgeous. Well, you also have to think, like, if vampires are classically beautiful as they are in, in some of these these myths that Steph and I have seen in, in media, mm-hmm. um, they would really stand out in oh, yeah. these kinds of societies because most people would be somewhat disfigured from things like smallpox, right? Oh, oh yeah, you'd right. have like you'd yeah. have pockmarks all over your face. And they're like, no, I got the other aspects of the plague. I just didn't get the like lesions. We it's it just it skipped me. <laughs> Emotionally it was really hard. <laughs> But. You don't know what it's like inside <laughs> and what I had to go through. Uh, but yeah, no, that's very true. Ooh, I like so this. So on that contrast, like keeping in mind that in media, they typically portray them as uncharacteristically like beautiful and gorgeous. It wasn't uncommon for anybody with unfamiliar physical or emotional traits that were different from the mass populace to be considered a vampire. Great. <laughs> I know. I was like, hmm. In 18th century Spain, vampires were allegedly spotted killing animals and terrorizing communities at night. The best possible explanation for these vampire outbreaks is a Spanish neurologist suggested in 1998 that it was not supernatural but medical. He said the symptoms of rabies would account for nearly all vampiric behaviors, including sensitivity to garlic and light, because rabies patients are hypersensitive, nocturnal habits because rabies affects the part of the brain that helps regulate the sleep cycle and fatal bites because some non-exact percentage because i couldn't find the exact percentage of rabies infected people are actually known in their haze and illness to bite others and the virus can be transferred by your saliva I don't know. Sounds like confirmation bias to me. This guy's a neurologist, and conveniently, there's a neurological explanation for vampirism. I don't know about that. It's suspicious. We can't Mm -hmm. call out confirmation bias on this podcast because everything I look up is just trying to confirm this shit, Kara. Like, you can't call me out on confirmation bias. My podcast is biased. (laughs) We're left of skeptic. We're we're not skeptic. We're left of skeptic. Oh, I get it now. <laughs> it's all coming together for me. Uh, yeah, that's so interesting. Again, like all these like 
biting and the animal ties because what bites like rats obviously is what yeah. you think of and dracula could turn into a rat yep um bats obviously um there's a whole movie also called contagion that started from a bat yep <laughs> so that whole infection idea um connection with animals it's so interesting i'm learning so much tonight if you're looking for another scientific explanation for vampirism look no further than a blood disorder called porphyria mm-hmm so porphyria is an inherited blood disorder that causes the body to produce less heme. I think I'm pronouncing that right. It's a critical component of hemoglobin, which is the protein in red blood cells that carries oxygen from the lungs to the body tissue. And it seems like porphyria is the origin for the vampire myth because it's sometimes referred to as the vampire disease, except they spell it the way Andrew does, like vampire, like with a Y. <laughs> The vampire disease. Very bougie. Bougie. It's the fancy way. Consider the symptoms of patients with porphyria. Sensitivity to sunlight. They are extremely sensitive to sunlight, leading to facial disfigurement, blackened skin, and hair growth. Which, if you recall, the original Dracula had hairy palms. What? Really? Yeah, did you not know that? Like, not the sexy Dracula. Like, the original Dracula had hairy palms. Huh. I don't remember that. Seems like something that would be memorable. <laughs> well, next time you see it, you won't unsee it. Uh, when we cover Dracula, it's a bonus episode that hasn't dropped yet uh, for Prophecy Girls. But um, I did a little research. I very rarely do research, but I did for that. Um, and the the uh, hairy palms is something that's attributed to werewolf lore as well. Oh. And because vampire lore and werewolf lore go hand in hand in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the things that you're saying here could it's also that whole Edward versus Jacob original... debate. <laughs> Everything comes back to Twilight. Right? <laughs> uh, so, so yeah. So um, yeah, the, the hairy palm thing was definitely a, a werewolf thing that they incorporated into Dracula. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Just because I'm excited and I want to know, like I know you're, you haven't dropped it yet, but which Dracula did you cover? Because I'm very excited now. The 1992 Bram Stoker one. <gasps> one with serious black. <laughs> <gasps> Fuck yeah, Gary Oldman. All right, I'm here for it. <laughs> Gary Oldman can get it. Another cool thing about Porphyria is um, a lot of the members of European royal families had it and hemophilia because of all the inbreeding going on. Oh, yeah. It really made them more susceptible to <laughs> Gotta genetic diseases. Gotta keep those diseases. pure bloodlines. Yeah. <laughs> so certain genetic diseases, including porphyria, um, manifested more often in members of the royal family. And I think one of the, I think it was like, uh, George III, the, the king oh. of England, England who was considered to be mad, right? And he, he ended up having the regency and such. I think he might have had, I can't remember if he had a hemophilia or porphyria, but... Um, huh. So I think that maybe might explain some of the connections between, like, this idea of vampiric nobles, right? Like, people who could live with the disease and still be a part of society because they had the money and the means and the status to kind of cover it up. The Lestat Um, and the Louis that could just, like, be fancy uh, out and about in society. And they always live in castles. Yeah, the whole castle thing. Uh, yep. The Volturi from Twilight, once again. Just yep. Because <laughs> yeah. poor people, mm-hmm. of course, would just be ostracized and driven out and probably have mm-hmm. a hard time surviving. 
probably have to attack livestock on the edge of town, right? Whereas yeah. the vampire nobles would just be <laughs> like, yeah, so I look weird. What are you going to do about it? <laughs> I'm rich. What are you going to do? <laughs> I'm rich. You're poor. Sorry. <laughs> not Very sorry. Mean girls of them. Sorry, yeah. not sorry. Like, I've got this fancy Should disease. it be born Who rich? got the plague? <laughs> oh, sorry. Oh, so sorry. 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 Um, yeah, did we other symptoms. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, we need a more Canadian vibe here. Uh, other symptoms of patients with porphyria. Fangs. In addition to facial disfigurement, repeated attacks of the disease cause your gums to recede, exposing the teeth, which make them look more like fangs. Ooh, I have receding gums. Mm. Am I I a vampire? Are you a vampire? Yes. (laughs) I knew it. I only ever see you at night, so. (laughs) Kara is our next Harmony. I'm here for it. Yeah. (laughs) What a compliment. Um, Blood drinking. Because the urine of people with porphyria is dark red... Folklore surmised that they were drinking blood. In fact, some physicians had recommended that these patients drink blood to compensate for a deficit in red blood cells. But this recommendation at the time was for animal blood. They weren't like, you know, go suck on your neighbor. Um, (laughs) It is more likely that these patients who only went out after dark because of the sensitivity to sunlight were judged as being looking for blood. And then the receding gum lines with their fangs led to folktale about vampires. This makes sense. I, yep, yep. Uh, Patients with porphyria had an aversion to garlic because the sulfur content of garlic could lead to an attack like a bringing on of porphyria, leading to acute pain, thus the aversion to garlic. So porphyria wasn't just like, oh, I'm constantly in pain. Kind of, it was kind of like, kind of like gout. Like you have Mm. a flare up. Is it an autoimmune disease? I think so. Okay. But basically, these things come up where things can agitate it. I wasn't saying it's like gout, like it's exactly like gout, but there mm-hmm. are things that can agitate it and make it worse. And you, if you're like, if it's something, if it was something that you had now, you'd have all these guides of things to avoid. Well, people ate garlic and it, it flared up. And so as a result, people are, are like, were averse to garbage. Wait, so, so how many cryptids and, and supernatural phenomena on your podcast are just people being really mean to people with chronic health conditions? <laughs> there is actually one episode that we did not air that we recorded. Yes. Because it was distinctly um we realized after we realized after the research that it was distinctly affecting people with a birth defect. Mm. Like the mm. actual stories of it seemed creepy and then you look and you dig a little deeper deeper and you do your research and you're like, "Oh, oh shit." I'm not covered. So we won't cover stuff like that. If there there's things that we've talked about where it's hinted that it might be because of things like this, where it's people ridiculing people for a disease or something. But if it's just blatant outright, oh, no, you're this is a stereotype completely based on your like health issues. We we, will just skip it. We won't do it. So good call. (laughs) But there's. There's a lot of them. We have skipped like that was that was one that we recorded and then realized as our research was going on, we were like, oh, no. But there's been a few that we both researched where we're like, remember how this was on our list? Never mind. Let's not do Take that it one. off the list. Let's we're not, not doing do it. One. Yeah. But it's a good thing to point out for sure what Kara's saying, right? Like there's definitely connection here. Oh, <laughs> for sure. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, two more symptoms. Uh, not wanting to look in the mirror or no reflection in the mirror 
In the mythology, a vampire is not able to look in a mirror or can't see their reflection. But based on the Porphyria legend, people were so disfigured by the disease that, and it became worse with time, so people would not want to look in the mirror. And then there was the fear of the crucifix. This one's a little bit of a stretch, but during the Spanish Inquisition, 1478 to 1834, from what I could tell, 600 vampires were reportedly burned at the stake. And some of these accused vampires were just people with porphyria. Did they run out of witches? <laughs> yeah. What's right? What's going on? Oh, they got burned too. Like, it's an all-burn party. Like, we burn indiscriminately. Finally, the Catholic Church learned how to be inclusive. <laughs> oh, my God. Unless they're all women vampires. <laughs> Which I suspect Woo! they were. <laughs> Woo! Um, so, yeah, obviously, it's not that there's a fear of the crucifix. It's that there's a fear of Christians, and they didn't want to have anything to do with them. Which is fair. Which is legit fair. <laughs> yeah. Can so, relate. <laughs> those are the vampire symptoms that relate to porphyria. Um, there is other cases of vampires taking the blame for widespread contagious diseases, including tuberculosis, otherwise known as consumption. During the vampire panic in New England... Vampires were finding a new role in European books because at this point they were going away from the like, ooh, big scary to like the uh, love me. I'm a vampire. Oh, here we go. Yes. Yes. So there were books like <laughs> there were books like The Vampire from 1819, uh, Carmilla from 1872 and Dracula from 1897, as well as, you know, many vampire themed plays. And just productions that people put on going from portraying vampires as these massively disfigured or wrong people to like, oh, I'm going to seduce you. You are mine. That's a thing that we're going to do. So these aristocratic sexual vampires were more like the vampires that we know today. They were Edward, basically. Mm. <laughs> Um, vampire panics died down in the 20th century as these fictional monsters replaced folk beliefs and as medical and scientific knowledge improved. However, there was a weird resurgence in the late 1960s when Sean Manchester, the president of the British Occult Society, which Brittany will recognize this because she covered it, said that a vampire was causing people to see strange things in London's Highgate Cemetery. Newspapers had already covered reports of a tall figure with burning eyes and other spectral sights floating in the cemetery, and journalists quickly picked up Manchester's theory that these sightings were the work of Eastern European vampires. Like, newspapers picked it up and were talking about it, and they embellished the claims, calling the figure a king vampire and writing that the vampire had practiced black magic in Romania before traveling to London in its coffin, because we're going to bring things back to Romania again, apparently. And what's up with these, like, uh, magical vampires? Why does that sometimes happen? I, I don't... It's the Dracula thing again, I think. Is Dracula was the big spin for a lot of these people. Like, like they wrote... Bram Stoker wrote Dracula, and that got so popular, and, and that's what everybody associated it with. Yeah, we talked about that when we covered Buffy versus Dracula, the premiere of season yeah, five. Yeah, yep, you're you know, right. One of my theories, because in, in the Buffy verse, Dracula is quite distinctive from other vampires. You know, he's this pretty boy vampire who shows up and he's all 
you know, impressed with himself because he has a book written about him. And Spike's not. Spike doesn't think he's all that. But my theory was that, well, maybe Dracula was just like an ordinary vampire. And he just, I, so, so there were kind of two ways you could see it is either he was just an ordinary vampire and he kind of like took on the Dracula persona after Bram Stoker wrote the book. He's like, yeah, that's me. I'm Dracula. Uh, (laughs) I was like, oh, totally. That was, yeah, that was. Yeah. Or this fucking guy. He convinced Bram Stoker to write the book as like his hype. Like Bram Stoker became his hype. Okay. Okay. And Bram was like, can you turn into a bat? And he's like, yeah. <laughs> like, obviously. <this> obviously. <laughs> I can do a wolf so too. Just, you want to see just it? Had really, yeah, yeah, he just had really it. good PR. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, and then on that level too, which by the way, just as a side note, because we all know I'm a simp. Can we all agree that the uh, Dracula that they got for Buffy was like not that dreamy? Yeah. Totally. I'm not saying that. Or I was just like, I don't know. I'm like, I'm not saying that <laughs> He wasn't an attractive person. I'm just saying, like, really? You have Angel and you have Spike and you have Oz and that's the best you can do for Dracula? Yeah, it was underwhelming. Right. So apparently Mm -hmm. the guy who played Dracula was also Dracula in a made-for-TV Dracula movie that was coming out. And so it was like a cross-promo thing. So that that makes way more sense. I listened to that episode today. (laughs) Yeah. So there was something else going on there with that casting. They're like, they didn't just like stick him in there randomly. There was some other purpose for him. All I could think the whole time was just that his makeup was really bad. Chalky. Chalky. Mm -hmm. Terrible contour. Just terrible. Mm -hmm. Well, that's something that always got me about the vampires in Buffy, right? Like you've heard us talk about Harmony's makeup multiple times. How is she so good at it when she can't see herself in the mirror? Practice and muscle memory. Yeah. Where there's a will, there's a way. <laughs> so that explains Dracula, the Buffyverse, and his poor makeup skills. There you go. Um, in 1970, Manchester, who we were just talking about with this whole vampire panic, told a TV news team that he planned to exercise the vampire on Friday the 13th, because why not? That night, hundreds of young people turned up at Highgate Cemetery to see him perform the exorcism, which he ended up not doing. Shocking. (laughs) (laughs) But the Highgate panic wasn't a case of vampires being scapegoated for a disease, but rather like the media taking one guy's story and being like, ooh, this might sell us some papers. Let's talk about it. Let's do it. So it's an uh, instance of what people have called legend tripping which I've never heard of before, but it apparently it's a thing, which is young people going to a haunted place to prove how brave they are and try to see something for themselves. Oh, I've heard of that. I mean, that's the whole But I've never heard it called Legend project, Tripping. Right? Yeah. I didn't know it had a title. Mm. I thought that was just yeah. like a game. Yeah. Um, in the history of Vampire Legends, the Highgate, the Highgate incident is probably the most modern phenomenon. It has less to do with the desire for a community's health and more in common with modern scares like the creepy clown sightings that went viral a few years ago. Like, people don't believe it, but they're drawn to it and they want to buy into it. Did that happen in Canada, too? Did you guys have clowns? I did not hear about this. I'm not, I don't have coolerophobia, but it sounds terrifying. I don't know if that was a Canadian thing. Do you guys not know about the clown thing? 
I, I remember know? it. No. I remember the the viral 2016. Um, yeah. Okay. So Kara doesn't know about it. Basically, there are these things that people were posting of videos of these clowns that were showing up outside and had like knives and were just being creepy. And it was this whole fucking moment. Like the news was covering and it was a whole thing. To the point I where schools were like banning showing up in clown outfits for Halloween. Wow. <laughs> um, so one of the most famous examples of a disease causing a vampire frenzy would be that of Mercy Brown. Mercy Lena Brown was a 19-year-old woman from Exeter, Rhode Island in 1892. She was exhumed alongside her mother and sister because basically the, the gentleman who was married to Mercy's mother was alarmed that his son appeared to be ill with the same mysterious illness that had taken his wife and daughters. So Mercy's father, George Brown, agreed with the whole entire town when they were like, hey, something's going on here. Let's dig up their graves and figure out what's preying on the community. So he consented to their exhumation and an examination of their remains. While Mercy Brown's mother and sister were just bones, according to History.com, Mercy's body lay on its side and was far less decomposed and had hair and nail growth. A local physician insisted that this was normal, given that she'd only passed eight weeks prior and... The, her mother and siblings had passed a long time ago but the townsfolk were like fuck this no <laughs> she's a vampire and because so many people had helplessly died from what we now know was tuberculosis at the time they removed and burned her heart on a rock pyre and the ashes were mixed into a potion as an elixir for the sick amongst the rest of the town what in it's, the world it's so fascinating to me like, how do people come up with these ritualistic ways of dispatching cryptids, <laughs> yeah. right? Like, what these is it solutions. about? So, you, so it's not just you burn the heart, right? I could get that. But it's like, okay, we're going to burn the heart, and then we're going to mix the ashes into a potion. It's like, is this just a really big game of yes and? Yeah, and it's like it go back to fairy tale lore, right? Because, like, in the original Snow White, the queen was like, I got to eat Snow White's heart. Right? I gotta consume it or else I'm not gonna be the fairest or whatever. It's like the same kind of idea there. It's weird. People are just really jonesing for some cannibalism and they'll find any excuse. (laughs) And so this wasn't an isolated incident, as we're talking about. Folklorist and Food for the Dead author Michael Bell estimates that there are 60 known examples of anti-vampire rituals in the 18th and 19th century New England and several others elsewhere in the country. These rituals were most common in eastern Connecticut, western Rhode Island, New England, and a history professor at uh, Central Washington, Brian Carroll, had another article that confirmed all this stuff I found in that one source. So basically what it sounds like to me is like white Christians attempting paganism. I was about to say wasps be rich, bored, and crazy. Like, they got too much time on their hands, and this is what they're spending it on. A lot of those places are kind of cold. And I was like, they just didn't have anything else to do? Yeah, exactly. It's not dissimilar from Canada. (laughs) I say this as a white woman who was raised Catholic and sometimes dabbles in witchy shit. But, like, even I recognize that I don't know all that I'm doing, and I'm trying my best, and I'm trying to research. But this just sounds like people making shit up to be like, no, this will fix it. 
they like, do it this, over here, this so this will work. Very, right? Yeah, this is like a very white people version of the myth, right? Exactly. Yep. We um, couldn't possibly be diseased. <laughs> it's not us. Clearly, it's a vampire. <laughs> and if we eat I the vampire. I didn't cheat on you, honey. Clearly, there's a vampire involved. <laughs> We're not rich enough to be vampires. <laughs> Um, so we know this was TB, right? So what about real vampires? A 2015 survey conducted by the Atlanta Vampire Alliance has found that there are at least 5,000 people in the United States that identify as vampires. Real vampires. Okay. Like, in what way? <laughs> so like although in- many people with blood fetishes actually call themselves sanguines, Others identify as vampires and, like the fictional creature, avoid sunlight and drink human blood from consenting donors. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, there are apparently also people who identify as psychic vampires. Think Colin Robinson from, like, What We Do in the Shadows, but real. According to Boston University's Joseph Laycock, who is a religious studies scholar turned vampire expert, people have auras that protect their energy and chakras and psychic vampires feed by sipping life energy through a like way to attach to these auras. Although of course not everyone can see the auras or the, you know, the attachments, but psychic vampirism has been a part of occult literature since the 19th century, and the idea that some people borrow or take energy from others is a common theme through multiple um cultures in Asia apparently. Yeah, so vampires, from my understanding, are very closely related to uh, other creatures called incubi and succubi, yes. right? Who who harvest sexual energy. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if any of you have read the Dresden Files by Jim Butcher. Yes, but he's got three different species of vampires in his world, right? Where you've got the more traditional, like Dracula style vampires, and then you have the sexy vampires, and then you have the Psychic vampires. Mm-hmm. And so, like, each of these vampires kind of have their own turf wars and such. Um, so it feels like, from what you're describing, Kayla, um, you know, these myths kind of get mixed up as they get transmitted and passed around through the generations Absolutely. and different groups of, like, immigrants mixing together where it's like, oh, you know, a little from column A, a little from column B. Oh, you, you called them incubi, but now we're going to call them vampires. And we're going to add in some blood sucking because why not? It's so sexy. It's- it's, it's things that go along with stuff that Brittany and I have talked about in other episodes when you go, like, fae. Like, we've wanted to cover fae, but we end up covering different types of fae and realize that there's so much crossover with others that you're like, okay, well, we've talked about this before. Because incubi and succubi are often considered a fae element, but there's so many crossovers with vampires where you're like, well... That's honestly, I had a whole section about that, and I cut it out because we've covered it in a whole episode before under a fae category. But you're right. It's combining of cultures and people mixing and matching things to make it be what they want to be. I actually believe the psychic vampire one, but not to like the degree of like, like, I don't know what they do with the souls they're sucking. But um, it just in the idea of like, you know, sometimes you're mint them as NFT. (laughs) Maybe Um, because (laughs) when you're with um, somebody who, let's say, is like an extra extrovert right like someone who's or or somebody like sometimes you're with people that feel like when you're done when you're done hanging out with them you're drained right they've they've sucked all your energy out just because of the way they are their personality i guess so like on a very you know 
high level scale. I'm like, I, I can see that being a real thing. Kayla, are you a psychic fan? <laughs> you just described Brittany and my entire friendship. <laughs> we lived together. We lived together for a while, and I swear to God, we'd hang out one night, and I wouldn't see her for three days after. I just need a recruit. So what I'm learning, what I'm learning is Steph is the Kayla, and I'm the Brittany of our relationship. <laughs> yeah, I was about to go on to defend psychic vampires to say <laughs> that do they're any, wonderful people. <laughs> do any of y'all watch what we do in the shadows? No, we. I've seen the movie, but I've not seen the show yet. Okay, the show is really funny, and mm-hmm. there's a Colin Robinson, and he's just the driest. Like, think like the characters from The Office, the show, except more boring. <laughs> and that's what Colin Robinson is. <laughs> um, beginning in the early 2000s, archaeologists across Bulgaria unearthed skeletons of people believed to be vampires. Six skeletons were discovered near Debelt. Two were found in Sozopol. And another was uncovered in the ruins of Perpurikon, near the Greek border. What set these 13th century skeletons apart were the rods driven through their chests, pinning them to the ground. And when people who were considered bad or evil died in medieval Bulgaria, the precaution was taken so that they could not rise from the dead at night and feast on unsuspecting victims. So researchers believed these there are about 100 of these graves total in Bulgaria. So... At those times, those were people that they legitimately believed were vampires. And they're like, we're not fucking around with this. These are the measures we're taking. You just stab that metal rod in there. (laughs) Well, I mean, if they're already dead, I suppose there's nothing wrong with taking a precaution, you know. Right. So I've covered some general examples. Brittany's going to take it away with some more specific real vampire examples. I'm just curious, did either of you in your research uncover the links between uh, vampires in Eastern folklore, Eastern European folklore, and anti-Semitism? We didn't, but I have heard of that. Well, honestly, most European folklore is like based I, in anti-Semitism. I did, Fair. but every time I tried to examine it and put it in the episode, it just ended up being... Every source I found for it was trying to defend why it wasn't, and I didn't feel comfortable including that. That's weird. It's the, it's the same people who defend goblins in Harry Potter. Like, it's that kind of idea, and they're trying to explain why it wasn't. I was like, well, I don't know enough about Judaism to point out why they're, like, wrong, but I also don't know enough to I, – I, I know enough to not feel comfortable trying to make that an example. So – Yes, I did find that in my research, but I didn't include it because I, it, it was an uncomfortable area where I didn't know how to explain it, and every resource I found was trying to defend it, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. but like, okay. why? Why defend it? Because people don't like it when something they've loved for their entire life is attacked. It's the same reason that Kara and Steph get attacked on their podcast all the time. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we have a little bit of a history about the vampire from Kayla. But what about uh, famous vampires? Okay. Not not Angelus or Edward or Bill or Dracula. Bill! Suki! Bill! Suki! Suki! Uh, but people who became famous after folks claimed that they were real vampires. So just a little bit of a content warning. Some of these descriptions uh, depict acts of violence because a lot of these 
vampires were actually serial killers. But I will try to keep it brief and not get too far into the graphic details. So if that makes you uncomfortable, you can go ahead and skip this section. But uh, there you go. The first person, the first vampire we're going to talk about is Pitar Blagojevich. Peter? <laughs> uh, Pitar. Pitar, okay. P-E-T-A-R. Pitar. Mm, Pitar. I mean, maybe it's Pitar. Peter. <laughs> it's the uh, original Peter. Yeah. <laughs> Pitar. Pitar. Uh, Blagojevich was a Serbian peasant who was believed to have become a vampire after his death in 1725 and to have gone on to kill nine of his fellow village folk. This case is considered to be the earliest and one of the most sensational and well-documented case of vampire hysteria. It was documented in a report of the imperial provisor Ernest Frumbald. <laughs> uh, you're new to this podcast. I say words wrong. Most of the time, just so you know, <laughs> my mouth just doesn't do certain things, and it it's it, it's really more embarrassing than funny. But you know, whatever. <laughs> uh, anyway, so yeah, there was this imperial guy, and he was an official from the Austrian administration, and he had actually witnessed the staking of Blagojevich. So Pitar Bl- Blagojevich lived in a village named Kislova. After his death, there was a spate of several sudden deaths, all of which occurred after very short maladies, reportedly about like 24 hours long of sickness. Within eight days, nine people had perished. On their deathbeds, the victims allegedly claimed to have been throttled by Blagojevich in the night. And I'm assuming throttled means like beaten. That's why I I can't. I, I assumed it was like choked. Choking. Oh, choked. Okay, okay, okay. Wait, so they they would get choked, but then survive, and then the next day they'd say, I got throttled last night, and then he'd come back? Yeah, so it looks like they were <laughs> sick for, like, 24 hours. So, like, maybe he poisoned them while choking them. Uh, furthermore, Blagojevich's wife stated that after he had died, he had visited her and asked her for his shoes. Because you know what? Vampires need shoes. And then... And then she moved away to another village for safety reasons. Did so? But did she take the shoes with her? Yeah, did, did she, she give, give him, him the shoes? shoes? I don't know. Maybe he just asked, and she's like, "No, you're dead." <laughs> Close the door. Close the like, door. This is weird. <laughs> I'm uncomfortable. Go like, to sleep. <laughs> Stop throttling my neighbor. <laughs> and then maybe I'll give you the shoes. <laughs> Peter every single day. <laughs> this is classic Pitar. No good husband just throttling the neighbors <laughs> and then complaining that he doesn't have work. So embarrassing. It's so embarrassing. <laughs> Pitar. In other legends, it is said that Blagojevich came back to his house demanding food from his son. And when the son refused, this family doesn't seem to have liked Pitar. Yeah. Uh, Pitar brutally murdered him, which is maybe why he didn't like him. With his shoe. Yeah, with his shoes. Actually, it was probably via biting and drinking his blood. The villagers decided to disinter the body and examine it for signs of vampirism, uh, such as growing hair, beard, and nails, and the absence of decomposition. The inhabitants of Kisilova demanded that Frombald, that 
Austrian administrator, should be present at the procedure as a representative of the administration. Frombalt tried to convince them to get permission from the Austrian authorities in Belgrade, uh, but they were like, no. I'm pretty (laughs) sure by the time that permission gets back, the whole community will have become victim to this vampire. And they demanded that Frombalt himself should immediately permit the procedure or else they would abandon the village to save their own lives. Uh, Which forced Frombalt to be like, fine, you can do it. Uh, So together with a priest, he viewed the already exhumed body and was astonished to find that the characteristics associated with vampires were indeed present. The body was undercomposed, the hair and beard had grown, there was new skin and nails, and blood could be seen in the mouth. After this, the people grew more outraged than distressed and proceeded to stake the body through the heart. This caused a uh, great amount of completely fresh blood to then flow from his ears and mouth, and then finally they burned the body. I like how they're outraged. They like Pitar was the least popular man in this village. <laughs> so when they're like how of dare all you. the people to come back from the <laughs> dead, Shoeless Pitar is the one. And they're so pissed about it. They're so mad that this uh administrator guy was like, Okay, let's maybe not stake his dead body. And they're like, No, we Absolutely will stake not. his dead body. <laughs> yeah. What are you thinking? Obviously, that's what we're going to be doing. (laughs) Well, they were were probably like, okay, yeah, we won't do it. And then the moment he leaves, they're like, get Get him. (laughs) One thing that did come up in my research that I didn't throw in here is people constantly point out in these instances the fresh blood that flows out of these bodies. Like, Mm. ignoring bloating. Mm. It's just, it's, it's decomposition. It is what it is. What year was this again? Is it like the 1700s or the 18th century? Seven, 1725. Yeah, yep. They don't know. <laughs> Just another know. random thought. I know that for a while there, um, sometimes it was hard to tell if people were actually dead. Yes. Right? That's why they so, had the thing like saved by the bell. Yeah. So what? how much? Yeah. So so it, it used to be a lot harder to tell if people were dead because um trying to like find a pulse right could be difficult so if people had some kind of condition where maybe their heart was just so weak it was still beating but you couldn't detect a pulse um often they would hold a mirror up to people's mouths to see if they were still exhaling breath but even Mm -hmm. that wasn't foolproof so um i'm just curious like maybe maybe some of these legends of people rising from the grave as vampires or zombies or whatever are connected to people being buried alive because you think they're dead. That's a really legitimate thing that I honestly, in all of this, I did not think about at all. Mm -hmm. I've, I've heard tales where people thought that they were, that the dead body was a vampire because they would open the grave for some reason or another, like maybe grave diggers went in to use then the corpse for like medical procedures and they would have scratch marks inside the coffin. And that's how they knew that a lot of people were being buried alive. But yes, so what they would do is put little bells so that there was a string connected to their finger. And so that if they woke up, then they could do this. And someone would hang out in the cemetery to listen for the bell. But that's where someone the phrase <laughs> saved by the bell came from. 
Oh my god. Okay, well, first off, I want one of those when I die. Car, write that down. Uh, um, also, <laughs> Zach Morris has a whole other meaning now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have you seen the YouTube uh, show Zach Morris is trash? Zach Morris is trash. <laughs> um, anyway, that's neither here nor there. But like from what now, I'm like convinced more than ever that Pitar did in fact get buried alive. So when he came out and he was like, they're like, you're a vampire. He's like, no, seriously, like, give me my shoes. Let me in. Give me food. And they're just like, shh, shh, shh. You're dead. You're dead. <laughs> like, shh, shh, like, go. go <laughs> Someone get the steak. <laughs> they're gaslighting Pitar into thinking he's dead when he's not. <laughs> so that report from Frombald, because they actually did, in fact, stake him and then burned his body. He concluded his report on the case uh, with the request that just in case these actions were found to be wrong, that he should not be blamed for them. He told them not to do it, and they did it anyway. So CYA, cover your ass. Typical bureaucrat. Uh, yeah, because apparently the villagers were beside themselves with fear. Uh, however, apparently the authorities found nothing wrong with these measures. They're like, eh. Okay. <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, I can totally see the police just being like, wow, that is so not our problem. Like, is he dead? Is he is he for sure dead? All right, well. He's dead now. What's done is done. <laughs> so, yeah, like we're not. We're cool. Yeah, let's just leave it. <laughs> that sounds like a headache and paperwork, and I'm not doing it, so. So much paperwork. Uh, and, of course, we cannot cover vampires without covering Elizabeth Bathory. Do you know about Elizabeth Bathory? Yes, we do, Steph. She's in um, in every generation. Oh, okay. So, uh, in every generation is one of the new Disney tie-in novels. It's set 15 years after the ending of Buffy. It's written by Kendara Blake. Uh, I won it. Had... Oh, you did. You did. You did win it. I won it. <laughs> she has not shared it with me. No, because wow. I'm sharing it with Sarah first. <laughs> Whoa. Okay. Well, we know we know That's, who you like more. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, because Sarah is my little sister. Still. So? <laughs> Still. Okay. Okay. If it makes if it makes like she doesn't have to wait for my mom because my mom was like I'm not waiting and then went and bought it. So <laughs> good. She, choosing um, Dawn over Willow. I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> so we had Kendara on the podcast. We interviewed her. You can go back and find that episode in our archives. It was plug, a plug, great plug, time. Plug. We had her back to do an episode with us, a new man in season four. Um, and so she she wrote this tie-in novel. There's a sequel coming out in January. And without going into too many spoilers, the uh, the quote-unquote big bad of this first book is the Elizabeth Bathory. Really? Yeah. Mm. Kayla! It's so good. It's so good. Um, and I'm... I'm, I'm the, all the episodes with Kendara in it are amazing. But... We're going to go back just a second because Steph just said I chose Dawn over Willow. <laughs> and I really need my little sister who listens. Like, so these podcasts come out, we post them at midnight. And if my sister hears that somebody compared her to Dawn and I don't defend her, I will be dead. So, Sarah, you are not Dawn. 
I'm totally You're a way better than Don. You're 100 times better than Don. And so this is me defending you. And we can move on from it from here. And Sarah, we're not going to make a big deal out of this. So you're going to stop it right now. I know that you're going to pause this episode and try to call me and point it out. We're not doing that. Also, doesn't she listen at like 7 o'clock in the morning? Like like 5 in the morning. <laughs> like I'll be asleep and she will pause it and she will try to call me. So we're, we're, we're putting out the fire right now as I'm trying to sleep is what's happening. Okay. All right. So Elizabeth Elizabeth Bathory. Bathory. (laughs) She was a well-known female serial killer, dubbed a vampire. She lived in Hungary in the late 1500s. And it is believed that she kept hostage, tortured, and killed hundreds of women and girls. She was accused of being a vampire due to the claims that she was not only committing cannibalism, but also because she allegedly bathed in her victim's blood. And, like past vampires, she only got away with her crimes because of her position as a noblewoman. When was this? Sorry? Uh, Late 1500s in Hungary. She likewise avoided the death sentence thanks to her rank, though there are two slightly different accounts regarding her sentence. Some say that she was bricked into her room to live out the rest of her days in there, while others say that she was simply on house arrest and confined to her castle. Either way, she never left her home again and then died in 1614 at the age of 54. Rich people never do go to prison, do they? No, they don't. They <laughs> no. really don't. Castle arrest. Yeah. Her, the rumors oh, of I that. I can't leave this entire castle. <laughs> my mean, life is terrible. Yeah, you mean my giant castle with hidden rooms and everything? Oh, no. Servants and all of that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And gardens. Um. The characteristics you described, like the bathing in the blood and the cannibalism, that reminds me a lot more of like your, uh, like uh, of a witch, right? Like in the movie The Witch, right? They obviously um, took babies. I don't know if they ate them, but they definitely used their blood to fly, right? <laughs> that's that's um spoiler if anyone who's not seen that movie. But that that's why I'm like that just reminds me more of um, something witches would do to maintain their youth. Um, and to get special powers from Satan. Witches have been uh, attributed to Elizabeth Bathory, Bathory, vampires have, and the Bloody Mary legend has as well. Although I will say that there's been a lot of documentation recently that she probably didn't do any of those things. And this was just some sort of story because why not vilify women? Right, that somebody probably wanted her land, you know, and they're like, this is the easiest way to do it. I'm not gonna marry her, of course, so I'm gonna frame her. That is actually what the theory is, is that they were they some dude wanted her power and her property and yeah, just just went all crazy. Tale as old as time. You either marry them, frame them, or you know, put them away in a mental institution. Oh absolutely. Uh, and then there is Fritz Harmon. And his full name is a mouthful. He's Frederick Heinrich Carl Fritz Harmon. Any relation to Mark Harmon? I don't know. He was I don't think born so. in 1879. I don't so. so I'm not, I don't know his genealogy. Is Mark Harmon Fritz Harmon now? He's still alive? <laughs> it's, it's a like, vampire <laughs> thing. It's a vampire thing. See, long name, he was a vampire. Um, unsurprisingly, uh, Frederick Heinrich Karl Fritz Harmon was German. 
Yeah, so he was a serial killer known as the Butcher of Hanover, the Vampire of Hanover, and the Wolfman. He committed the sexual assault, murder, mutilation, and dismemberment of at least 24 young men and boys between 1918 and 1924 in the city of Hanover. Not cool. (laughs) Dude. Absolutely. (laughs) Not cool. Not totally not cool. He was found guilty of 24 of the 27 murders for which he was tried. I don't know why those other three. Like, we don't have enough evidence for them. We got enough. We got enough. I looked into it. It was because it was not beyond a shadow of a doubt. That's literally the only reason. Okay. That, I mean. Still, that that's 23 more murders than you need to be found guilty of. Exactly. Get, you know, yep. Like a yep. life sentence. Yep. We got him, guys. We got him. <laughs> Stop right there. Uh, he was actually tried and sentenced to death by beheading in December of 1924. And he was subsequently actually executed by guillotine in April of 1925. They still beheaded? In the in that yeah. time period, that's oh yeah, wild. wow. I feel like the guillotine existed in France up until like the nineties. In wow. high school, I did a report on capital punishment and the amount of versions of the death sentence that we would think of as barbaric that existed long into where we don't expect them to exist is it's bigger than you think, like. So I graduated in 2006, which means I did this report in 2005, and several states still had the firing squad as an option. Mm. I think one state is actually bringing it back. Yep. Yeah, they're, Florida? they're, they're running out of uh Fucking Florida. Fucking Florida. God damn it, Florida. Quick point of order, and I, I know you didn't mean to phrase it this way, Kayla, but all versions of the death sentence are barbaric, right? There is no oh, yes. good no, way yeah, to execute no, no. people. You're, you're right. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, but specifically, yeah. like, beheading, I'm, like, shook that that was, like, still a thing, you know. It's hard to kill people, away. like, when you mean to do it. Yeah, it's yeah. true. That's, they sometimes get buried alive. We learned that already. <laughs> like, like and you were... for a long time, executioner was a really, like, high-skilled trade because it, it took a lot of muscle to do things like swing an axe or whatever, you know, operate the hangman's rope and stuff, and... You got to be good at it because if you weren't, people would suffer. Well, and you were 100% right, Cara, and I did word that poorly because another thing that comes up is even the forms of execution that were considered like gentle or uh, like empathetic or sympathetic or whatever word at the time, a lot of those actually have a lot of – if they went right, quote unquote right, things could be over quick, but most of the times they didn't and it was just people suffering. Mm. Yeah, the yeah. amount of the amount of stories we cover from prisons where people are hanged and they're not done it's not done properly and then they just strangle to death for like 20 minutes. Like in the mummy. Yep. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and then they haunt these locations forever because they suffered and died. Yeah. That's why we yep. have yeah. all these ghosts. I don't blame them. Bad spirits. So Harmon became known as such titles as the Vampire of Hanover or or the Wolfman, because of his preferred murder method. So he became known as the Vampire of Hanover because he preferred to murder people by biting into or through the victim's throats. Interesting choice. Not my first go-to. No. (laughs) So that's lovely. So that's how they knew, like, without a shadow of the doubt. They're like, if who died of bite, like, on their neck... This guy did it. <laughs> those, yep. But those 
three got away. They're like, they were killed some other way. They're like, we're can't be sure. sure him, but he didn't do that <laughs> thing. And so I don't know. Interesting. A lifelong fascination with blood led to a horrific month long murder spree that turned Richard Chase into the vampire of Sacramento. Oh, the 70s. America, mm-hmm. California in the 70s was not a great place to be. A lot <laughs> of serial killers. So between 1977 and 1978, Chase murdered, disemboweled, and drank the blood of six people, ranging in age from 22 months to 36 years. Chase chose his victims at random, but only entered the homes where the door was open. Quote, if the door was locked, that meant you weren't welcome, he stated in court. Huh. Yeah. Hmm. Weirdest ass sense of like attempt, like permission. (laughs) Like, what the fuck? What the fuck? This this guy's like a most dangerous game kind of guy where he's like, you know, I'm going to give you a fair chance here. I'm going to hunt you. I'd probably kill you, but you get a sporting chance. Yeah. So if your door's locked, good for you. <laughs> I'll I move on. I want to say Richard Ramirez did the same thing. If he only yeah. went into places if the door was unlocked. Stories like this are why I'm adamant about locking my doors. I grew up in a town where people didn't a lot of the time because it was so small. But then I got into, I had a like true crime moment and I read all of this stuff and I was like no always lock your doors always because a lot of times if yeah. all a lock if a lock is one deadbolt is all it takes to deter people I'm in exactly mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. I would prefer not to be murdered mm-hmm. <laughs> wow that's a that's a strong opinion are you sure you want to put that out strong there stance Brittany do you care to back that up <laughs> yeah. be prepared for the fallout of what you just said <laughs> You know, I, I was led to believe this was a safe space, but here I am <laughs> on this podcast being told that just because I think some people should not want to be murdered, that's bad? Oh, okay. Judgy. Okay. Okay. Right. Sorry. Wow. Judgy sorry, face. Guys. I'm so sorry. <laughs> so Chase was en- ended up being sentenced to death after being found guilty on all six counts of first-degree murder. But he ended up taking his own life from an overdose of stockpiled antidepressants in December of 1979. Uh, and then a super fun act of role-playing crossed into real life for vampire killer Roderick Farrell in 1996, when the teenage leader of a vampire clan uh, brought a few of his followers from Murray, Kentucky to Eustis, Florida to murder the parents of his girlfriend, Heather, so that she could then be initiated into his coven. After killing Heather's father with a crowbar, Farrell and a friend used cigarettes to burn a V into his chest. And then upon his arrest, Farrell told the police that they would never be able to contain him because he was an all-powerful 500-year-old vampire named Visago. He was not. (laughs) (laughs) Farrell became the country's youngest prisoner on death row in 1998, though his sentence has since been commuted to life without parole. So I had a book on Roderick Farrell in high school and it was like this thick and it like super gave all the details this teenager was so gone like legitimately believed that this character that he would play in role-playing games was his real life thing it's scary like it's it was scary how was he found criminally responsible well because Um, I think part of it, if I remember correctly from the book, now granted, I haven't read it since I still was, I was in high school when I was reading it. But if I remember correctly from the book, it was that 
he showed no remorse. Like, legitimately. Mm. And it wasn't like a, they could find him. What's the, ex- like, what's the reasoning when you're not able to, you're not found competent to stand trial? Is that the word? Non-compass mentis. Yeah. So, they, like, Roderick was fully aware of everything going on around him. Like, he knew what he had done. He knew who was involved. He knew the laws of the United States. He knew all of this stuff. He just genuinely thought that this was something he could pull off because he wanted his girlfriend in his coven, and it was okay. So that's how that ended up happening. I had a whole book on it, but it's, oh, it's, like, scary. Mm-hmm. Also, so, this took place in Florida. There's no it was laws a Florida. down there. It was a Florida man. Florida man. Florida man. Mm. Yeah. Yep. 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 It's all coming together. It's, it's, all, it's all coming together. <laughs> so, are vampires real? The condition of craving blood for energy known as hematomania, I think I said that right, Yep. yep. is real. And the difference here is that these folks drink blood from willing donors. They don't want to be confused with the scary portrayals of vampires. These real vampires are often just average people with unusual tastes. I'm not going to yuck anyone's yum. So they choose to live in like-minded communities. Most are fairly private about their taste for blood for fear of getting confronted by people with wooden stakes and garlic, silver bullets, or fire. But with organizations like Atlanta's Vampire Alliance popping up, there's growing advocacy for those who pursue this lifestyle. So while we may label serial killers as vampires, they are not. They are just terrible people who did really bad things. So I have the final question of the evening. But before I do, I want to call back Kara. You had asked if we had found any anti-Semitic references in vampire legends. I had, but couldn't find anything where I felt comfortable putting on the podcast. Do you know of any that you'd want to throw out there? Like that you're comfortable talking. I, I mean, yeah, I, I can just tell you kind of what I've garnered okay. from my journeys. I mean, I don't have any particular sources to cite. Okay. Um, but I, I mean, I, I was reading a Twitter thread a while back. I can see if I can find it again, where a Jewish person person was talking about um, why it's a bad idea to make your vampire characters in specifically YA. I think they were talking about okay um, Jewish, um, and they were drawing these connections between. How, you know, in Europe, uh, Jewish people were often uh, discriminated against in such a way that they were turned into like supernatural caricatures. Mm-hmm. Um, so you you would exaggerate certain features associated with being ethnically Jewish, right? Like having like a, a large hooked nose. Um, and so there were all of these myths going around, like you know, Jewish people would. Uh, like turn into bats and fly and they would steal your children and they would drink the blood of children. That's where the, the phrase blood libel comes from. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, so a lot of the activities we attribute to vampires in Eastern European folklore overlap with some of the um, things attributed to Jewish people to turn them into these monstrous uh, this monstrous group worthy of disdain and discrimination and hatred. Did anyone watch Jojo um, Rabbit? Yes. I yes. have not. I have not watched it. 
so um, in that movie, very much what Kara's describing, um, Jojo, the the main little boy, um, he like draws a book that shows that, like his um, his interpretations of what Jewish people are like and their monsters in the book, right? They breathe fire. Oh, okay. They've got long like fangs, and they've got like claws, and they attack good uh good nazi german germans right so yeah, yeah same yeah so mm-hmm. all of all of that propaganda mm-hmm. that the nazi party was putting out um in the 1930s that that all comes from you know deep roots in because jewish people have been persecuted throughout history throughout european history you know it was illegal for jewish people to set foot in england for like 200 years mm-hmm. um so I just, you know, I think it, it's important when we talk about, and, and I've brought this up on the show a few times before because uh, Joss Whedon does not have a great track record yeah. with respecting, you know, the myths and, and legends in such of various cultures. See the pack yeah. and animism. Yeah. Uh, but when it comes to like Eastern European folklore, right, he does not do justice to the Romani. Um, and even if a lot of what he does isn't like directly rooted in anti-Semitism, it's so pervasive in our society and the portrayals, you know, Kayla, you had brought up earlier goblins, of course, in Harry Potter, Mm -hmm. right? Like all of these portrayals can just be so like latently anti-Semitic because of how deeply it runs in our, our, our society and the things that we've taken from European culture. So I just wanted to make sure that we, we brought that up on the podcast. Oh, I think that's really important. Thank you. And I appreciate it because a lot of these times, like, we don't, we live, like, Brittany and I live in a, we have a lot of friends, but the majority of our friend group is white. Like, we don't, and it's a lot of white people who were raised Christian, and we don't know about things until we learn about things. So, encouraging people to go out and do their own research into this stuff so that you're not putting your knowledge onto other people to educate you is big but if you have a chance to learn from other people do it but i'm glad you brought that up because i i like i said it had brought up but then as soon as i realized that the sources i was easily finding were just in defense i just dropped it because i was on a timeline and i didn't but thank you for sharing that because i otherwise i might have not known all of those different connections so i appreciate it and i appreciate you (laughs) thank you finger guns (laughs) (laughs) so on that note like we said serial killers not actually real vampires because they're just terrible fucking people who do terrible fucking things so i guess the question would be are paranormal vampires real because who are we to tell these people in real life that want to drink blood and have consensual donors that they're that they're not okay like that's that's on them everything's about consent Everybody's doing things in the right way. That's fine. So do we believe things like psychic vampires or people that are drinking blood to obtain energy? Do we believe that the the paranormal idea of vampires are real? So we are going to rate them on our skeptic scale of para to normal. Para being five, normal being one. Steph, what do you think? One. Okay. Maybe We've had several one episodes, so don't feel bad about giving something a one rating. Like, I'm sorry, I just I think of no, all that's... your um, examples. You ladies had so many really interesting ones. Um, I've yet like I didn't hear one that made me like like ooh, I need to learn more about 
you know, that, like that sounds mm-hmm. something I've never heard before. Like, I feel like we, during the conversation connected all of these um, stories and history events to things that were probably actually happening. Yeah. Um, and then when, like, I, 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 the closest thing I can believe is the psychic vampire. Mm-hmm. Um, but even that, I'm just like, I don't know. Sometimes people are just draining. <laughs> Some people are just <laughs> high energy and it's a lot. Uh, so that's why I think it's more normal. Um, again, if you're drinking blood and you, you like it, like uh, Brittany said, I'm not going to yuck your yum. Uh, as long as it's consenting and, you know, everything's done safely, fine. Safely, yeah. But do I think it gives you special energy or power? No. I would imagine it gives you really disgusting poos <laughs> and uh, <laughs> terrible stomach ache, <laughs> just biologically, you know. So that that's my take on, on that. All right. Cara, what do you think? I'm also going to have to go with a one, Kayla. Okay. Uh, okay. Much like Steph said, I just don't think that anything we heard on the podcast today is jumping out at me. It's like, oh, that's mysterious or unexplained, right? I think for something to be para for me, um, it's got to be something where I may not necessarily believe outright that it's paranormal or supernatural, but I got to be like, I don't have a good explanation for that. Yeah. There, yep. yeah, there's no backing that up. <laughs> yeah, that's weird. <laughs> yeah, I'm also uh, yeah, I'm also gonna go with a one uh, for the exact same reasons. Um, growing up, loving Buffy as much as I did, I always just assumed that like vampire. I was like open to the possibility of vampires, but when you look into the history of them, it's really just a lot of people not understanding things that we now know, which I guess is a lot of folklore and mythology is just. We thought that our hair and our nails keep growing if they're vampires, but really it's just your skin receding. So, well, well, and I think another thing to be aware of, right, is these days we do still don't really have a lot of vampires happening, other than the serial killers, you know. And and that's there's a difference between the things from folklore that kind of fall by the wayside as we start to be able to explain things scientifically, versus those cryptids that are still hanging yep. on. Mothman. Right? Like Bigfoot and Sasquatch, such Mothman, right? Like um, whether or not, you know, people personally believe in those things, they're, they still exist within that liminal space of like, well, maybe like if, if, if the stars aligned in the right way that this actually <laughs> happened, it could still exist. You know, it, it's not necessarily just explaining away existing phenomena. There could be some kind of creature out there, but... Of course, it's, you know, you, you can't prove a negative, yep. so. And so with that, I'm also going to give it a one, which I think would label this officially Nernass, which it's been a long time since we've had a Nernass. Uh, basically, Nernass is an acronym that I created, which was no rating necessary, absolute something shit. I cannot remember what the other. <laughs> no, no no rating necessary, normal ass shit. <laughs> Normal ass shit. No rating necessary. Normal ass shit. It's something that people want to make spooky, but it's not spooky. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. it's, it's a good ass. story. Well, mm. and I th- I think that our culture, especially thanks to things like Twilight and now like what we do in the shadows, um, and even other parodies before that, um, our culture has thoroughly rendered vampires yes. not scary. Yeah. Maybe there was a time in like the early twentieth century when 
uh, vampires were first being rendered into cinema, that they were spooky, right? Like Nosferatu. Um, But nowadays, vampires are sexy, as we've talked about. Vampires can be silly. Vampires aren't scary. No, that's legit. Yeah. And we're so used to them now, right? They're just, they're everywhere in media. Um, I'm, I think I read somewhere. They're on our cereal boxes. <laughs> oh, I <laughs> love Count Chocolate. They're on Sesame Street. They're in our schools. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I think I read somewhere recently that around the world, there's something like 20 vampire movies that are released per year. Just like, like oh not just goodness. America, but like around the world. Like just people love vampires and because we're, we see them so often we're desensitized to them they're not scary myths anymore um so that paranormal part of it really got like if you wanted to believe that they were real in real life i just i just can't anymore because they just sparkle wait 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 i i oh my goodness have the vampires won, <gasps> the vampires have, won. <laughs> have they convinced us they don't exist what? by hiding in plain w- sight They've just suffused us with so much vampire fiction that we're so desensitized. We're like, nah, vampires can't be real. And meanwhile, the vampires are like, yes, yes, vampires can't be real. Fight amongst yourselves. Of course, if I was really a vampire, my skin would sparkle. Right? I would argue that since 12th grade or grade 12, because I watched Degrassi, I know how y'all say things. Grade 12, (laughs) not 12th grade, obviously. (laughs) <laughs> well done with the exception of 30 days of night starring josh hartnett hmm. there hasn't uh, been an attempt at a scary vampire movie it's all been sexy like somebody you're gonna have a crush on but like that was the only movie that attempted to make vampires a frightening thing again and it was a very scary movie but even then people are like that's not vampires even though that's what they literally claimed it was because at that point it was so expected that vampires were going to be something different that they were just monsters so yep Mm. like you're spot on it's it's not something that we expect as a culture in general anymore Mm -hmm. i i I will say very briefly josh hart josh hartnett becomes a vampire in that movie and that was hot. <laughs> so you know what else is hot? He's from Minnesota. You know what else is hot? Minnesota. Me and him have the same birthday. Wow! Look uh, at our weird Josh Hartnett knowledge. Oh my god! <laughs> What's it called? Six degrees of separation, something like that. Yeah. Boom. <laughs> boom. Boom. I think I'm actually Let's four degrees away from Josh Hartnett. So, so normally, normally we would have a listener story if we happen to have one but since we have y'all here as a special guest i would like to ask and no big deal if you don't do either of you have a paranormal story of any kind or are you inclined to believe in the paranormal are you more of a skeptic anything you want to espouse on the subject cara tell them you're a vampire (laughs) just come out (laughs) i was gonna say how many times you're gonna make her come out one more What's one more? <laughs> Ooh, a paranormal story. No, I live a very normal life. I'm a one. Except your computer <laughs> is haunted. Life. Yeah, my computer is haunted. Um, I, I spend a lot of my time because uh, I'm um, Chinese. So, and I've married into a Chinese family. I spend a lot of time uh, fighting the <laughs> supernatural and the paranormal uh, beliefs of, of my family now. Okay, okay. <laughs> 
Oh, I thought you just said you spent time fighting the supernatural and paranormal. Oh yeah, I'm actually Buffy. <laughs> You're Buffy. I've, I have a yeah, I have a secret life that, that I'm coming out. I'm telling you guys that I fight ghosts <laughs> on the regular. <laughs> but they have a lot of beliefs about that stuff. Um, I've yet to see any proof, but I'm around it a lot. I just don't know if I have experienced it myself. Okay. Yeah, I, I am a total skeptic when okay. it comes to these things. I think it's fun to talk about. Mm-hmm. I, I never, you know, yeah, watch all those shows like Ghost Ghost Hunters, Ghost Facers, if you're <laughs> Ghost from Supernatural. Ghost Facers! Right? <laughs> we face the uh, demons, the others cannot! Uh, I like how it's to the tune of the crossfire. I know. <laughs> crossfire! <laughs> crossfire! Didn't know that. <laughs> I can share a family paranormal so story. Much. Okay. Please do, if you're comfortable. So, yeah. So, I mean, it's not even my story. I guess I'll have to ask my great aunt, but here it is. Uh, on my Chinese side, uh, we grew up, uh, my father and his family grew up in a small, even smaller city than Thunder Bay called Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario. Um, and my great aunt had a daughter who passed away when she was, I think, thir- 14, maybe. 14 or 15 uh so they buried her and then um a couple years later my aunt was having terrible terrible nightmares um her daughter was coming to her in her sleep oh. uh, and telling her i'm cold i can't sleep i'm cold um this is in the north northern ontario it is cold so i don't i believe her uh, her name was victoria and uh so my aunt had the body exhumed so that they could wrap her in blankets and then rebury her the nightmare stopped and then uh, about 10 years later, she was back uh, coming to the house and coming to my aunt in her dreams and saying, I'm lonely. Like now I'm, you know, in the afterlife, I'm now no longer a girl. I'm a woman and I'm lonely and I want to get married. So um, she went to a matchmaker, a Chinese matchmaker, and found a ghost that could marry her daughter in the afterlife. And then they again... I don't know if they had to exhume her body for any sort of sort of ceremony, mm-hmm. but there definitely was some sort of ceremony. And then she, yeah, and then that, then she was at peace after that. That is so, both sad and beautiful. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually, that's why I don't mind sharing the story. Yeah. I find it. Um, I, I think it's nice that my aunt found comfort in this this kind of story. But again, like, like I'm around these stories pretty often, and I and I'm always like, hmm. Well, one thing. Hmm. Oh, Kara, go ahead. Yeah, I, I think for me, when it comes to kind of my attitude towards the paranormal, it's, you know, it's fun when it's fun. And it's great that people can find comfort from it. But I also just look at how many people use it as a way to run scams and take advantage oh, yeah. of people, especially when, you know, there is a correlation between believing in the paranormal and being and like having a like a lower level of educational attainment. So often you're taking advantage of uh, people who are, you know, have lower income, uh, more likely to believe this sort of thing because they haven't learned as much about science. It's not that they're less intelligent. They just haven't learned as much. And you're taking advantage of marginalized and vulnerable groups, mm-hmm. right? And I mean, people do that with science as well. Like pseudoscience is a whole problem <laughs> in our society too. Uh, so, you know, credulity is an issue and gullibility. But that's what I think about is it's like, yes, draw comfort from these things, but have that healthy skepticism of like, if, if I, if somebody's trying to get me to pay them money to deal with my, my paranormal issue, mm-hmm. I got to think twice about this because, you know, and my other thing is, as we, as we talked about earlier in the episode, 
you know, so often these paranormal stories or beliefs are used to justify oppressive oh, yeah. practices within yep. a society. But so did y'all grow up with, I mean, in the U.S. we had like Dish Network, cable, TV, that kind of stuff. Did y'all go up, grow up with the uh, advertisements, like infomercials? So oh, yeah. the thing, Late what I <laughs> what I was going to say is this, like this, the story that Steph just shared with us is comforting because a lot of like if you're if you are a person who believes in that, a lot of the ghosts that Brittany and I cover don't have the family that cares enough to try to help them settle that way and that's sad whether because the family doesn't believe in it or because they are no longer around and unable to do it or whatever it is and then you get assholes like zach baggins who have the show ghost adventures and are just like antagonizing everybody and just trying to make it about how angry can we make these ghosts you have that but then you like uh like like uh cara said you have the people that are trying to profit off of it when I was in high school, my dad had Dish Network, and there were constantly these infomercials for all of these different, like, tarot card readers or people who could read your vibes through the phone or whatever. Cleo and it's the like your first five minutes are free, but it's nineteen ninety five a minute after that. And they feed on, like Kara said, the people who have not had enough education to know that you don't pay 20 bucks a minute for somebody to tell you that. So where's the line of like, we try to figure out what we can know and want to know and what we're hoping for and getting suckered into. It's a weird, it's a weird line to draw, but. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like, but well, you're here yeah. to draw it. <laughs> we're we're going to draw it. Somebody, somebody has to. <laughs> Well, yeah, and the, and the story I told, it's, it's also so tied to culture. Yeah. Right? It's so tied to what you believe growing up and, you know, that kind of thing. So the spirituality of that. But that, so there's also, you know, the kind of like a, a related issue of how here in the West we have this tendency to other non-white cultures, right? And say like, oh, you know, they're so superstitious and backwards. And it's like, you know, the the highest standard is western rational thought that emerged from the european enlightenment and if you're if you mm -hmm. don't completely believe in rationalism and science then there's something wrong with you when it's like um hello have you completely ignored the history of like british spiritualism and occultism yep. and there was this whole fad of like mesmerism and magnetism at the end of the 19th century did did, did we just blink and miss that like white people are not any more rational than <laughs> no, anybody the whole else. spiritual movement is just i mean harry houdini was famous or not only to be a magician, but he went on like a personal mission to show that all of these like fortune tellers, people who could like read spirits, that they were frauds. And he that was what he spent a good chunk of his life doing. I believe it was after his mother died. He went to a person who claimed that they could talk to her and he realized that they were a fraud. And so then he was like, I'm going to I'm going to disprove every single one of you. Mm. Yeah, a lot of magicians are like that, right? Like James Randi is another a famous one. Jim Randi? I can't remember. Gosh. Um, but because magicians, of course, you know, are practiced in sleight of hand and deception and stagecraft, they, they can often spot the fakers and kind of figure out, okay, this is how they're running the con game. 
Okay, but recognizing that there are frauds out there, but there are people that are totally not frauds and have experiences and feel that they are totally valid, and that is, we are not denying them their validity. If you have a paranormal experience that you would like to share with us on the podcast, you can do so by emailing us directly, leftofskeptic at gmail.com. You can also visit our website, www.leftofskeptic.com, and click the Listener Stories tab at the top of the page, or you can click the link tree on our bio. You can choose to remain anonymous or include your name, whatever you would prefer. We just ask that you please include your pronouns. That's me. Uh, That's you me. can... I was like, yeah, yeah, include your pronouns. <laughs> Obviously, uh, yeah. You can also follow us on social media. We are on TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram at Left of Skeptic, and Facebook at Left of Skeptic Podcast. Kara, uh, you should plug us too. Yeah, Kara, do you <laughs> want to socials, plug our stuff? Like both of you, plug your stuff, uh, throw it out there for the world. I love how I'm the one who gets to plug, even though you're the one who does the social <laughs> plug. I don't want to toot my own horn. You can find us anywhere podcasts are found. Our website is prophecygirls.ca. <laughs> uh, we have a Discord, prophecygirls.ca slash Discord. You can come join us, chat about Buffy and anything else you want to chat about. And yeah, we're on social media. I think Instagram and TikTok are the best places to engage. We're also on Twitter and Facebook, but I run the Twitter, so it's not as lively. Also, Twitter is a hellhole right now. Yeah, but... This is true. You definitely... But it's my hellhole, damn it. So. <laughs> That's where I live. Um, you should definitely follow us on Instagram because, as Kayla said earlier, she won one of our giveaways. I want a Sometimes book. we give away free shit. Yeah. And um, you were a lucky winner. That was definitely not rigged. It just You just happened to win. <laughs> my little sister tried to say it was rigged. She's like, oh, she's really? like, they follow you back. It's a rig. I'm like, no, no. I'm just lucky. It's not. You're just lucky that way. Also, you played the game right. Kara, Twitter is Britney's hellhole. I straight up told her I won't post on it anymore. If she wants to post on it, she has to. I don't. I, I won't fuck with Twitter anymore. I'm out. Fuck this shit. I'm out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Steph and Kara, we want to thank you both for joining us this week. It means the world to us. We love you both. Thank you for inviting so us. This has been so much oh fun. Oh my gosh. I learned so much. I'm smarter having come on here. That's thank you. Nobody ever says that after <laughs> talking to me. No. That's great. <laughs> well, it's it's very refreshing, right? Because I'm a teacher. So I spend all day explaining <laughs> stuff. So it's nice to just show up here and yeah, not. You just have get to, to listen things. and you're like, oh now I know something new. Mm. Yeah. Steph and Cara are beautiful people, and y'all are beautiful for listening to us. We love and appreciate you. Happy spooky Wednesday. Happy spooky Wednesday. Okay. okay. Bye. 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 <laughs> Perfect. Nailed it. First Nailed try. It. That was a harmony. That's all that was. Ooh. Our doo-wop group begins. The Left of Skeptic podcast is written and hosted by Kayla Moria and Brittany Lind. This week's episode is edited by me. Brittany Lind. The Left of Skeptic music is by Dave Melling and Emily Havoc, and our artwork is by Al LeBlanc. Okay, bye!